0: chapter 12. New Year's Eve is a time to look back. It's a time to recount our many blessings and to be thankful for all that God has given to us. There's certainly a place for that. A New Year's Eve sermon can also give expression to that. Uh, But a New Year's Eve service is also a time for reflection, a time to look back, a time to think about Uh, What we did, what we could have done perhaps differently. And it's in that light that we're going to reflect on the words of our text this evening. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 12, and starting at verse 35, uh, reading to verse 59, the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law, and daughter in law against her mother in law. Then he also said to the multitudes Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be hot weather. And there is, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. So, beloved congregation, life is full of missed opportunities. I'm sure you've experienced that before. You saw a house or a car advertised at a very good price, but you hesitated, and before you knew it, it was gone. Or you had your eye on a nice girl, talking now before you got married, if you were married, and you were just gathering up the courage to ask her out on a date. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this other guy appears and sweeps her off her feet, a missed opportunity. Or you had the opportunity to invest in a startup company, but you didn't want to take the risk, and so you passed. Only to discover a few months later that this company became a huge success and was making millions of dollars, and you could have realized a multiple return on your investment a missed opportunity and i could go on and on and on we all have had missed opportunities in our life but by far the greatest missed opportunity in this life is to hear the invitations the warnings of the gospel and then to fail to respond this is precisely what the Jews did in our text in Luke 12 verses 54 to 59 it was only a few months before the Lord Jesus was to be crucified and Jesus and his disciples were in the region of Perea that's the area to the east side of the Jordan River southeast of Galilee, and they had arrived there from Jerusalem, where they had recently celebrated the feast of the dedication. And while they were in Perea, many people came to hear Jesus preach. In fact, if we look at the very first verse of our text, chapter Luke 12, verse 1, we read there that an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled. One another. There were so many people wanting to hear Jesus preach that they were in danger of trampling one another down. Now, Jesus addressed several subjects in this chapter. We didn't have the time to read the whole chapter, Uh, but the part that we did read uh, certainly he was uh, speaking to. Uh, The multitude, in particular to his disciples. Uh, He warned the people uh, at the beginning of the chapter to beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, He then encouraged them not to be afraid when persecution comes, for God will look after them. He taught them about the deceitfulness of riches, he taught them not to worry, he taught them about the importance of being ready for his second coming. He taught them also about the cost of discipleship. And then in verse 54, our Lord adopts a different tone. Up until this verse, up until verse 54, he's he's been inviting and encouraging. It's like he's been urging the Jews one last time to follow him, And he lays out the blessings and the privileges and the challenges as well of doing so. But then as if anticipating that the majority of them would not do so, our Lord at the end of this chapter issues a solemn warning. It's a warning about missed opportunities. And it's to this subject that we will turn our attention with God's help As we close out the year 2023, our theme is the tragedy of a missed opportunity. The tragedy of a missed opportunity. And we'll see that this tragedy is, first of all, totally inexcusable, and secondly, easily remedied. I said already that Jesus was approaching the end of his earthly ministry for some three years, He had been teaching the Word of God, and he had performed many miracles to confirm the truth of what he was saying. And yet, despite all that Jesus did, and despite all that Jesus said, despite all the miracles that he performed, many of the Jews did not believe on him. They did not believe that he was who he said he was. They did not believe that he was Jesus, the promised Messiah. Why is that? Well, some of them had a hard time accepting him as the Messiah because Jesus didn't measure up to the kind of Messiah that they wanted and that they were hoping he would be. Because they wanted a political Messiah. They wanted someone who would lead them in battle against the Romans, kick the Romans out, and establish the throne of David in Jerusalem. But Jesus was not that kind of Messiah, and he made that abundantly clear. Because he told his disciples on several occasions, we ought to turn the other cheek, and we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And so whatever else Jesus did, and whatever else Jesus said, it didn't matter to them because he didn't fit their preconceived ideas of who the Messiah should be. And so they rejected him. Others had a hard time believing he was the promised Messiah because they didn't like his message. Jesus told people that they were sinners And that therefore they could not save themselves. And that the only way they could be saved, the only way they could be reconciled to God, was by believing on him and repenting of their sins. Now the Jews of Jesus' day rejected this notion. Oh yes, they knew they were sinners, of course. But they didn't believe they needed Jesus. They believed the solution to their problem lay in themselves. All they had to do was keep the law of Moses And obey the traditions of the elders. And in this way they could earn their way into heaven. They could earn the favor of God. And they simply could not accept and would not accept that the only way into heaven was by faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever the case, they didn't believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But there were others. And these are the people that our Lord is addressing in our text there are others who simply didn't know what to believe they too saw the miracles that Jesus performed they too heard his teaching but they couldn't come to any definite conclusion they were on the fence about Jesus They perhaps felt they didn't quite have enough information. They lacked the necessary evidence, and so they neither rejected him, nor did they believe on him, but they were neutral towards him. Now to Jesus, this was utterly inexcusable. And he says that in verses 54 to 56. In those verses, Jesus points out How accurately these same people were able to predict the weather. Look at what he says in verse 54. Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west immediately you say a shower is coming and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow you say there will be hot weather and there is. Now in New Testament times they didn't have the weather network app on their phones. They didn't have weather radar and satellites like we do today. They simply observed the environment around them. And so when they saw a cloud rising out of the west, they accurately predicted that it was going to rain. And that's because the Mediterranean Sea lay to the west. Of Jerusalem, And the Mediterranean Sea was the source of most of the moisture that fell on that region of the world. And so when they saw a cloud in the west, they said, rain is coming. Similarly, when they felt the south wind blow, they said it would be hot and dry. And that's because to the south and west of Jerusalem lies the desert of the Sinai Peninsula and the dry air of Africa, the Sahara Desert of Africa, and points further south. Now, this method of predicting the weather, you understand, was not always accurate, just like our weather is not always accurate either, but it was most of the time. Most of the time, the Jews accurately predicted the weather based on... Very little information. Just a cloud in the sky or a warm breeze blowing through the air. And Jesus' point is this. He's saying, you know, you Jews, you're so good at predicting the weather based on very little information. And yet, you cannot discern this time. Now what did he mean by that? What did he mean by this time? Well, he was referring, of course, to the time in which they lived. He was referring to the time in which our Lord was among them, teaching them, preaching to them, performing great miracles before them. He had been among them for some three years. And during this time, he had done so much, he had said so much, He cleansed the lepers. He restored sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes, not only once but twice, with only a few loaves and a few small fish. These people of Jesus' generation saw the coming of the kingdom of God. They had a front row seat, we could say, to the coming of God's kingdom. This was the apex of the coming of the kingdom. He the promised Messiah who was foretold by the prophets, the one on whom the people of God, like Anna and Simeon, as we saw this morning, were pinning all of their hopes. He had arrived. And he was standing right in front of them. And all the evidence pointed to the fact that he was the Son of God, that he was the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. And yet here they were, undecided neutral don't know what to believe undecided about Jesus now they knew of course that Jesus was no ordinary man you remember that one occasion when Jesus asked his disciples who do men think that I am and and some said you are a prophet jeremiah or john the baptist Risen from the dead. Oh yes, they had high regard for Jesus. They knew he was not ordinary. They knew he was something special. But they did not believe that he was the promised Messiah. And it's for this reason that Jesus calls them hypocrites. That's the word that he uses. Hypocrites, he says. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time now what's a hypocrite well a hypocrite very simply is somebody who appears to be something that he's not and Jesus often used this word to describe the scribes and the Pharisees he he called them hypocrites because they appeared to be very religious on the outside but they were not on the inside Jesus called them whited sepulchres. They're pure white on the outside, but inside, he said, they're full of corruption, dead men's bones. And now Jesus uses that same term to describe the Jewish people as a whole, particularly these people who were neutral about him, who couldn't make a decision about him one way or the other. He says, You're hypocrites! Now, in what sense were they hypocrites? Well, because they said that they expected and longed for even the coming of the Messiah. If you were to ask the average Jew during the time that Jesus lived, what do you want most of all? What are you looking forward to most of all? They would say, oh, the coming of the Messiah. We can't wait for him to come. They longed for it. They prayed about it. They asked God, they besought God, Lord, send the Messiah. And now we had arrived. And they refused to see it. In fact, they didn't want to see it. They could accurately predict the weather. But they couldn't discern this time. Matthew, Henry comments as follows he says it is the folly and misery of man that he knows not his time it is the folly and misery of man that he knows not his time isn't that true in Luke 19 verse 43 and 44 Jesus there predicts the destruction of Jerusalem under the Romans in 70 AD. And he says this, he says, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and enclose you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What was he talking about? He was talking about the time that Jesus was among them. The time in which they could repent. The time in which they could be saved. The time in which they could call upon the name of the Lord. And they let that time go by them. They missed the opportunity. They squandered the opportunity. And the same was true of the people to whom Jesus was addressing in our text. They too did not know the time of their visitation. And I wonder, beloved, is that true of any of us tonight as we sit here in church on the last Sunday of the year 2023? It's hard to imagine. A whole year has gone by. And how many sermons have you not heard in this past year? How many warnings and invitations have you not heard? How many opportunities have you not had to repent, to get right with God, to put sin to death, to resolve by the power of God and the grace of the Spirit to live a holy life unto the Lord, to use your time more wisely, to seek the Lord, to live for the Lord, to love the Lord more deeply. What have you done? What have you done with all of these opportunities? Did you make good use of them? All of them? Or did you let them slip by? There are many people in church, I'm sad to say this, but it is true, there are many people in the church who do exactly that they go through the motions of religion and they come to church and they read their bible and they pray and they they may even come to bible study and to the prayer meeting and they they do all the things that they're supposed to do but their heart's not in it it doesn't change them they're going through the motions they don't see the urgency of their situation and they're quite content to just keep coasting along Boasting along, going with the flow, sailing off into eternity without a care in the world. And they can tell you what the weather's going to be like tomorrow and the next day. And they know the scores of the latest hockey games and the stats of the latest players and they can speak very knowledgeably about politics and about the world situation and what's wrong with the world today and what we need to do to fix it but they cannot discern the time they don't understand that today could be their last day on earth and that they will appear before the judgment seat of God and give an account of themselves and of the countless opportunities that they had to get right with God And if that describes anyone here tonight, my friend, don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend as though you're religious and not embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and live for Him and serve Him with all of your heart. Don't squander the opportunity that God has given to you. Now, is the accepted time today is the day of salvation the bible says do not harden your heart and it comes with this force you see because god understands he understands what we're like He knows how calcified our hearts can be, how insensitive we can be to the things of God, how unaware we can be of the precarious situation in which we find ourselves by nature. And so God comes pleadingly, as it were, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation, and it's totally inexcusable if you let the opportunity slip. Well, that's our first point. Missed opportunities are totally inexcusable. But secondly, these missed opportunities are easily remedied. As we've seen, the Jews of Jesus' day had failed to discern the time. And as a result of this, they were in great danger. Whether they realized it or not, they were. And in order to impress this truth upon them, Jesus tells a parable and it comes in verses 58 and 59. And this is what Jesus says. He says, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite." You see what Jesus is doing here? He's asking us to imagine a man who is guilty of either stealing or embezzling money. It's called the adversary in the parable. And this adversary, he's the one who who wants justice. He's the one that the man has sinned against. He's the one who... uh, He's the one whom the man had stolen the money or embezzled the money. And so, so this man, the adversary, he wants justice, and rightly so. I mean, if somebody stole something from you, you'd, you'd want to get it back, right? So this man also wants to get it back. And so, so what does he do? He serves this man with a summons to appear in court. He lays a charge against this man. Now, in the days in which Jesus lived, court cases, first of all, went to the magistrate, and the magistrate's task was to preside over what we would call a preliminary hearing, and so the evidence would be presented, and the magistrate would decide whether there was enough evidence to bring this matter to the judge. Now, in this case, there was plenty of evidence. In fact, it was a clear-cut case. It was open and shut. The man who had stolen the money or embezzled the money, he was guilty as charged, and um, he has nothing to say in his defense. And so Jesus here offers this man, this this imaginary man, this figurative man, some free legal advice. And he says that it would be wise for this man if he settled out of court. Because if he doesn't settle out of court, and he tries to argue his case, he's going to lose. Because the magistrate will refer him to the judge, this is what he says, he lays it all out, And the judge will hand him over to the officer, and the officer is going to throw him into prison. And there he will remain, he says, until he has paid back every penny that he stole. That's what a mite is. It's the smallest coin in Roman currency. Now, what's Jesus describing here? He's describing what's going to happen on the day of judgment. He spoke of the Day of Judgment earlier in this chapter. We read it together, verses 35 to 40. He tells the parable of the expectant steward. And the point of that parable is that we should always be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because he can return at any time, at an hour when we least expect him to come. So we need to be like, like that faithful steward who was always ready For the sudden return of his master. And then, following that, he tells another parable, verses 41 to 48, the parable of the faithful steward. And the point of this parable is really the same as the previous parable, with this additional lesson that if we squander the time that we've been given, thinking that we still have plenty of time to get right with God, then we are mistaken because he will come in a day and an hour when we least expect it. And those who have been given more of them, more will be required. And those who have been given less of them, less will be required, and they will be beaten with fewer stripes. Well, this man in this parable is you and me. And like him, one day, We all must appear before God as judge. And every day that goes by, every year that goes by, brings us closer and closer to our appointment with God as judge. And like this man in the parable, we too have an adversary. And the adversary is the law of God. And the law of God convicts us. And it tells us we've all transgressed the commandments of God and therefore we deserve eternal damnation. What is more like this, man, the evidence is against us. We have nothing to say in our defense. It's an open and shut case. And like him, we ought to do everything in our power to get our case settled before he gets referred to the judge. And what we ought to do is we ought to admit our guilt and we ought to seek pardon while we still have the opportunity because if we let the opportunity slip, what's going to happen? Well, the officer is going to come and he's going to throw us into prison. Now, some people, in an effort to make this parable a bit more palatable, make themselves feel better, have tried to make this parable say that everybody will be given a second chance. And they deduce that from the fact that Jesus says, you shall not depart from there, from prison, that is, until you have paid the very last mite or the last penny. So they say, well, there you go. And Roman Catholics will actually use this to support their doctrine of purgatory, that we go to some place and when we've made sufficient satisfaction for our sins, then we can go to heaven because we've paid the debt ourselves. So we get, really, in effect, we get a second chance. But they forget that anybody who's thrown into a debtor's prison never gets out. Because the only way you can pay the debt back is if you work. But if you're in debtor's prison, you can't work. So you can't pay the debt back. And that means that you're there forever. And so the consequences are very great indeed. The stakes are very high indeed. But the solution is so simple. All we have to do to avoid going into prison is to admit to our adversary that we have sinned, that we did wrong, that we admit to God, Lord, I have sinned, and like the parable son, I have sinned, and therefore am no more worthy to be called your son. That's what we need to come to God with and say. We need to admit our guilt. We need to humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, I am not worthy. And then we need to make restitution for what we stole. And you say, how can we make restitution? Isn't that impossible? Doesn't God demand a perfect satisfaction for sin. And isn't his wrath against sin so great that no mere human being can sustain it as we confess in our Heidelberg Catechism? Yes, indeed. So how do we make restitution? Well, we can't. That's the point. We can't. But Jesus can. In fact, he's the only one who can do so because he did what none of us can do. He bore the wrath of God all the time that he lived on this earth, but especially when he hung there on the cross of Calvary. The full wrath of God was poured out upon him, the wrath of God for the sins of all of his people from the beginning to the very end of time. He paid that penalty in full. And all the time that he lived on this earth, he lived a perfect life and he earned for us A perfect righteousness that will enable us to stand before God and live. And when we repent of our sins and when we trust in Christ as our Savior, His penalty, the penalty that He paid, becomes ours. His payment becomes ours. His righteousness becomes ours. And as a result, we are set free. Set free. God declares us not guilty. God as judge declares us not guilty and we may live in his presence forever and Jesus becomes our advocate at the right hand of the Father and he pleads our case before his father in heaven and he says to his father as it were oh father this is the one whom you gave me from all eternity I died for him I died for her and therefore I plead with you do not give him do not give her what he or she deserves let your wrath fall upon me I will take it I will pay the debt in full so that he may go free and because the father loves the son As the Son loves the Father, the Father says, Yes, my Son, whatever you ask of me, I will do. And declares him not guilty on the basis of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that wonderful? How can we ever tire of hearing about this? And how many times haven't we heard this? in this past year, but how have you responded to this? Have you accepted our Lord's offer? Or do you still think you can manage without Him? I tell you now, beloved, that is impossible. Because the adversary that we face is relentless. And he will press his claim to the furthest extent possible. He will not show mercy. He will not be patient. He will demand what we owe. And so do not be so foolish. And the message of our text is settle with him, do it now, before it is too late. And you've had so many opportunities to do so. I'm not here speaking only about those who are not saved. But I'm also speaking about God's children, how many things there are in your life, beloved child of God tonight, that are not pleasing to the Lord, that do need to be rooted out of your life. And you've heard these things explained to you from the pulpit so many times, and you've been urged to repent and turn to the Lord, and yet you've allowed those opportunities to slip you by. You've had another year to grow in grace. What's been the result? Where's the fruit? Is there tangible fruit in your life? This is the last sermon, as I said, of the year 2023. I don't know how many sermons you will still hear. I know you're not going to hear another sermon tonight unless you go home and pop one in to your stereo or you listen to something on Sermon audio, I don't know, but this will be the last sermon you hear in church. That's true. And not just for this year, but maybe for the rest of your life. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I don't know how many of you are still going to be here tomorrow morning. Death is very uncertain. And just like the coming of the Lord, it can strike us at any time. You could die tonight. And you could appear before God like that rich man in the parable, you know, who built the bigger barns and he thought he was going to live forever. And God came and says, you fool! This night your soul shall be required of you. Yes, we could all die tonight or tomorrow. I don't know when we're going to die. One day we will die. One day we will stand before the judge of all the earth. And what Jesus is telling us in this parable is don't let the opportunity slip. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Stop sitting on the fence. Stop trying to remain neutral towards Christ. Get right with God now before he brings you to the judge and the judge casts you into prison and do not think you have still plenty of time the philosophers in Athens heard the apostle Paul preach the gospel to them he told them who Jesus was and and what he had done and some remained undecided and they said we will hear you again on this matter but they never did and King Agrippa heard Paul preach and he was convicted by what he said and and he even said almost you persuade me to become a Christian Paul but he never did as far as we know and Felix also said to Paul go away now Paul when I have a convenient time then I'll call for you. And that time never came, as far as we know. All of these people were exposed to the gospel. They heard about Christ, they heard about what he did, they heard the invitations of the gospel, the warnings of the gospel, but they never responded in faith and repentance. And the message of our text, beloved, is simply this. Don't let that happen to you. Amen.